Externalate. Externalate. That's a good word. Externalate. <laughs> I will externalate this playtest. My name is Nathan Pletta. I'm a game designer, self-publisher, and graphic artist. My name is Will Hindmarch. I'm a writer, narrative designer, graphic designer, and game designer. All right, Will, it's finally time. What are we talking about this week on the Design Games Podcast? Nathan, this week, we start to bring it all together. There's a gap, a a chasm sometimes, to bridge from here's all my thoughts and ideas and the design as a work in progress to let's try this thing out and see how it works. What are some ways that you have bridged that gap? Without saying something that I would prescribe for others necessarily, but something Mm -hmm. that has worked for me Mm -hmm. is focusing on the, if you will, scenario or situation or adventure for that first playtesting session. Especially if I know the specific gamers that I'm playing with, what am I going to actually talk about in what order? Like, do we open with a fight scene? Do we open with a chase? Do we open with an investigation? Is that something that you make a list of, like do bullet points kind of, or is that something that's more like in the moment you know what you want to target? Oh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, I definitely do the bullets for that. I'll make a list. It depends how narrative the experience is that I'm mm-hmm. testing. But very often for me, it is a question of, I will go down the different ways that I can think of knowing what the game is about and knowing that I will probably only have a strong say over the premise of the first scenario, where it starts. I mean, even if it's a, the kind of playtest where I say, okay, well, let's just assume that you that your investigation bears fruit, you find this person, and now let's test the chase rules, right? Because it's a playtest. It's, it's, it's play and a test. So it's we make certain concessions to each. Sure. But that process, not even so much sticking to it, is not actually really relevant as much as when I make that list. It helps me realize in a non-narrative capacity how to test some of what I want to test. Because if I say I need a story that will test all four of the following systems, chases, investigations, combat, and dogfighting, and I find it very hard to figure out how to put them all in there, then that tells me also that it's going to be presumably hard for other GMs to do it. And these kinds of processes, the sort of proto-play test, the pre-play test, where we're just bringing it all together, Mm. and we're saying... What does the conveyance of this design in its current state look like for me to the players? Right. Like, what is it actually going to, what form is it actually going to take at the table? Do I have index cards that have the action economy on it? Do I have just a list of bullet points? Do I have a, a complete skill list? Does it roll your own skills still at this stage? Or is it like, I have these skills and I think, I, I think there might be two or three others. So we're, we'll make up what the lore and knowledge skills are during play or whatever. Or we're only going to worry about the ones that are relevant to the characters. These kinds of things that are, I find out what is still soft edged and what is soft edged by design. What is porous and not porous by design. Essentially, these are all ways of finding, of getting me to a place where I am a little bit rehearsed and a little bit loose in finding out how I'm going to talk about this at the table. One of the benefits of bringing everything together, even if the design itself is still a little amorphous and soft and still has lots of things that could change, mm-hmm. is that process where you you go through the experience of how do I approach transmitting the game information, mm-hmm. which I think is a different mindset than how do I design the systems that are going to interplay to create the experience. Right. And without trying to draw some kind of bright line between those two things, because like everything else, they, they intersect and, and intermingle and feedback onto each other. But that feeling of like, I need to make sure that the players know about this. Right. And then so do you make a handout? Do you write stuff on index cards? Do you make a note to yourself to include it in your opening spiel? Whatever it is, that itself will 
often end up revealing additional uh, design opportunities Mm -hmm. and maybe some places where things aren't quite clicking yet, even before you get to the table and do the actual action that you intend to, to do. One of the things I discover, I have discovered over and over again, and I think it's game specific, but I'm really just sort of the last year, I've started to think that I was wrong about that, is that I use space metaphors, spatial metaphors during design, and I use temporal metaphors during play. Not exclusively in either case, but they tend to come up more, which is to say that during design, if everything is working, if I think the mechanics make sense, I can visualize how this leads to that gameplay loop and how the economy moves these points from here to there. Those are all spatial ideas. When I get to a table full of people, when the book doesn't exist, so it can't be a matter of everybody's had a chance to read these same five pages or everybody's seen the character sheet or everybody's seen, right? Because that stuff doesn't exist yet. Mm -hmm. Or for that matter, when you're playing a game at a convention, and even if that stuff exists, you can't just hand the book to everybody and say, okay, everybody read these five pages, take take turns. Then suddenly, it's not just a question of do these things interact correctly. It's a matter of in what order am I going to list terms? In what order am I going to reveal pieces of information? And how that casts light on the space you are describing that is kind of mechanical. Mm -hmm. So if you bring your ideas of reward systems and economies and character types and success and failure and all these resolution systems and all this stuff together, and then you start in the wrong spot, this is actually something that I've done a lot of and that I find the assembly of this stuff is easier than the conveyance or as you say, the transmission of it, Mm -hmm. where I will start at what I'm most excited about or start at what I think is most difficult. The, The thing that if you crack the shell, then the whole thing makes sense. And either find out that I'm wrong about where to start or I'm wrong about how to explain it. It was essential to me to realizing that the relationship in this process is not unlike it is in any kind of narrative in a way, which is that it's the difference between the story and how it is told. It is the difference between the system and how it is presented. Mm-hmm. The system may be the exact same for three different groups who play, you know, in one week that you first debut this thing as a playtest at Metatopia or something, but you describe it three different ways. And so you see the three different results. If you've brought it together, the notes and stuff, so that it's clear in your mind and you have the physical sort of layout of the flow chart of play or however they can move through the space of play, Mm -hmm. the process of where you start talking about it, do you open in in the middle of an aerial gun battle? Do you open with the characters falling towards the earth and having to learn the parachute rules? These Mm -hmm. sorts of things make a big difference. And that's one of the reasons why I try to consider as many different options for that as possible at the beginning so that my instinct, I'm I'm not just relying on my gut. Yeah, I often find myself using the phrase, bear with me, I haven't really figured out how to explain this yet. Yes. In early playtests and in um, these uh, functional, like, let's see if this works or not mm-hmm. kind of things. Whereas a game that I've run a lot, you know, end up having a uh, patter, kind of a, a pitch and then a method for how to get into it. And it's a little rote for me as a presenter of the information. While if I'm running an early stage playtest where I'm trying to bring this all together, the things that I stumble over explaining mm-hmm. are good places to note, look at this, look at this, re-examine this. If it is something where I can't explain it very well because like, because it's complicated or because it's something that I think it should work one way, but once I start saying it out loud to other people who are asking me questions, it stops making sense. There's these dissonant notes that can mm-hmm. get hit and they can be for a lot of different reasons. So having some kind of process for noting those and continuing on to get whatever else you want out of the session, I yeah. think is pretty important. I mean, for me, I, I usually have a clipboard and, and a piece of paper and I just like do like stars and arrows and, and just write notes all over the all over it as they come up in play yeah. and then like review it later, that kind of thing. I completely agree that those are the flags that help you spot the difficulties in conveying the mental image or the, the instinct of the way something is working to externalizing. Externalizing is hard. If it was easy, a lot of problems would be solved between <laughs> humans already. Right. 
what I'm getting at is I start that process of the stars and the lines and everything on the sheet of paper for me. Not only do I start it in advance of that test, and that's what bringing it together is for me, but I I go through two or three pages of that before I find out which of those pages I'm going to put on the clipboard and take to the play test. Mm -hmm. Because, and I learned this the hard way for me, I try not to have a blank page in front of me during a play test. Mm. If I do, and I say, well, this is where the notes will go, even if it's next to two other pages of stuff, a blank page is is an inherently difficult thing to put the first couple of marks on, Mm -hmm. especially for me. I bring stuff that, so that the first thing I can do is cross something out or circle something. Note on the margins. And so that I can bring a, a list that says, Okay, so I want to test these three things. If, let's say one of them is character creation, one of them is the chase rules, and one of them is investigation. And I'm going to start with character creation, and then I think, okay, and then we'll, we'll open in a chase. That'll be exciting. And I find out that the natural conversation at the table m- means that we're going to go to investigation first because that's just what the characters are talking about. It's what the players are interested in. It's already flowing. I don't want to put a break in the pattern at the table. By having it already on the page in front of me, I just draw, cir- circle a bullet and draw an arrow that says this one mm-hmm. in front of that in this test. Yeah. And I bring that up not so much because I think it's actually necessarily apt for playtesting because I, I know designers who don't who are perfectly happy with a blank page. But to me, it's because even if I were to take a blank page to the playtest, that first sheet thinking that it's going to come with me to the playtest helps me bring it all together mm-hmm. because it helps me think about it linearly, temporarily, yeah. where I can't say two things at once. I have to describe in order how these mm-hmm. processes are going to work. Without getting too deep into like playtesting techniques and Mm -hmm. stuff like that, I think what we're getting at here is more about exploring the ways that taking all of your ideas for your design, capital D, and pulling them into a form where you can share them with someone else or with other people, that in and of itself is a part of the design process that can teach you something about your game or reveal something or help you reflect on your goals for the game, even if that playtest gets canceled, someone gets sick, or something happens and you have to push it off a week or or whatever. A process diagram. I'm gonna I'm gonna draw draw on the air with my hands. It's gonna make for a really good podcast here. But the design process has been illustrated to me thusly. You start at a point and that's your idea. And then you have two lines going out from that point making a V, like a horizontal V in the air. And that's your making decisions and you're thinking about stuff and you're gathering gathering inspiration and checking out prior art and doing all the exciting design things. And then at some point that V reverses and starts tucking down into it's going to make another point, making a, a horizontal diamond shape, right? And as you're tapering down, that point is necessary, even though after it, it's probably going to expand again into another V and you're going to fill it with stuff again. But you need to taper down to that point, which could be a play storm, as we've discussed, could be a play test, could just be, I'm going to put all of my thoughts into one document, Mm -hmm. right? And make sure everything's just next to each other. Or it could be, I'm going to make all of the materials one would need to play this game even though I don't have a plan to play it right this second. I'm going to make the character sheets and the handouts and the whatever. Narrowing, winnowing, having a, a goal to focus on makes you reflect on your idea and process it in a way that just continually inputting stuff never will. I kind of came around to saying that it's about perceiving this thing that you're doing. And it's easy to say during design for it to get so wide, as you, you know, right. in that for the lines to get so far apart that you can't take it all in at once. Right. And so making it, 
I guess for lack of a better word, I mean, per- per- perceivable or consumable. Well, you're making it into a thing where you can step back yeah. and having other people there so that you can kind of see it through their eyes yeah. helps with that a lot, even if it isn't a formal, like, let's play test, even if it is a, hey, check out these character sheets I made. Tell me what you think. Yeah. What What do you think the game is about based on these yeah. character sheets? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a test. Yeah. There's a lot of validation, right? This is so, so getting down to that point is about like validation, not in the sense of saying whether you're right or wrong, but in the sense of checking your, what you actually have against what you wanted Mm-hmm. Right. Validating whether it's it's green or green or red. Right. Like go or go or no go on this idea kind of thing. I often do the thing where I like make character sheets and handouts and stuff. A, because I'm a visual thinker. So like making a visual thing helps just my brain process what's going on. Yeah. Also, the user interface of the game is the sheet. So putting the character sheet or reference sheet or whatever physical object is the the portal into accessing the game even if the game's not done yet putting the sheet together with what you do have done can reveal holes or reveal relationships that you didn't have when you were just writing prose or that you have too much stuff to fit on a page yeah i mean that's a big one yeah i have a lot of design decisions that end up getting driven by what i can fit on the sheet Mm -hmm. because it's more important to me to have one page front and back than it is for me to have this exception to this rule that's not going to come up very often you know it just always works this way and if this thing comes up then oh well i don't have the room on the sheet to put it in there and it is less important than having a muddied up sheet with lots of little text that no one can read sometimes that's even a, a test to find out if something really is a rule that's an if it's an exception or not because mm-hmm. an exception is not to go on the sheet anyway and if yeah. it literally is that one percent of the time this is going to come up, you could still have that rule or that mechanism or that procedure, that policy, that reading in the book that says, "Hey, listen, if this happens, right, do this," without having to put it on the sheet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for me, that's a valuable way, even if I'm not ready to play test in in quotes, mocking up the physical materials is one way to winnow those things down and and put all the different parts together in my head that then I have something to look at and be like, oh. I still don't have insomnia rules. Right. That's an oversight in my Insomniac Fighter Pilot game. With something like Worldwide Wrestling, do you remember the first time when you playtested it with other people? What did it look like? Especially with something like that that has a certain both clear visual touchstone wrestling, but also the legacy mechanics that in theory give you an edge in terms of teaching it to the audience. There are certain terms and stuff that are already appreciable, but also creates weight, right? That you've mm-hmm. got to kind of reteach certain stuff. Well, so the first playtest for that game and kind of the first vision for that game, you had two play sheets. You had your gimmick sheet, so that's your the kind of wrestling you are, the monster or whatever. And then you had your role sheet, which was whether you were a good guy or a bad guy, a babyface or a heel. And also had advancement stuff. And the idea was that, that they were going to change at different rates. Your role was going to change more often than your gimmick. So there's two sheets, and all the rules you need are on the two sheets. That was the idea. Stuff was different. There were more stats and, and stuff like that. But a lot of the fundamentals were, were already there. Kind of what ended up happening was that it created a unwieldy amount of paper on the table mm-hmm. um, was one thing. Another was that they didn't really change at different rates so much. And also kind of the insight that actual role itself didn't have to occupy so much physical space was part of it. It was basically one rule that changed. It didn't require an entire piece of paper just to hold that rule on it so i ended up abandoning the two sheet idea and going to the more apocalypse world original which is just like one kind of double-sided sheet uh with check boxes for checking off what you have at a given time and then erasing them and just 
moving the check around, which meant that the sheet became much more dense. So instead of like two kind of sparsely populated sheets, there was like one densely populated sheet. So for that first assembly of the ideas into those two sheets for the player at the tabletop, mm-hmm. what did those sheets actually look like for you that time? Were they Xeroxes of something hand-drawn? Did they resemble um, the graphic design that the, the, the trade dress that the, look, that the game has? They, a little bit. They're actually kind of more calling on Apocalypse World a little bit, just mm-hmm. with kind of the, the how the art, I just did like pictures of wrestlers with a filter over them and stuff like that for the art, and just the way that it notated you know, the stats and stuff like that it was all pretty much just like, ah, oh, this is this is how it looks on an Apocalypse World sheet. Actually, I, I still have them. I actually found them in a folder a little while ago because I took a lot of notes on them and then they've just been sitting in a folder since I changed changed how it looked. Also, they were landscape. I often do stuff in landscape. I just think it presents information in a way that, that I find more compelling. So they were in landscape and then eventually I actually changed back to a portrait sheet because of how the art was going to work out for the gimmick portraits. So now let's compare that, a game that has that has a lot of other familiar touchstones. Mm-hmm. Like, like a, again, Worldwide Wrestling has both Apocalypse World and Wrestling. How does that compare to something that you've done that has none of those or that has fewer of those? Like, for example, Mask of the Mummy Kings, mm-hmm. in which, on the one hand, there's a portal into that game that is very accessible to the traditional fantasy gamer, which is we're going to go into this underground place and get loot. But so much of that game is not as clearly descended from other media. Right. So how do you, what did the first, because ver- those sheets are also very distinctive, right? Mm-hmm. The, each sheet has half the mask on it and you yeah. put them together and they do the whole thing. What what did the first time that you brought that together for for an outs for an audience other than you? What did those look like? Again, because that core idea of the two sheets that go together was like from the beginning. Yeah, each half has its own set of rules, basically of player abilities. So I just had half pages with just like a blank outline of a skull, uh, and then all the text around the edges of that blank outline. Because I think because I, I already from the beginning knew like this is going to have to have the pictures of the masks on it right right? from the beginning i designed the sheets so that i wasn't gonna have to move a bunch of stuff around to make that happen like they've just been refining that ever since for that though from the gm side i basically started off running it just printed out my google doc of of the outline you know i had kind of like a little bit of framing blurb that you kind of read at the beginning and then i just had bullets of how the mechanics worked uh and that's the first time i ran the game and so i took all my notes and everything on that outline. It was like three pages and stapled and then went back, rewrote stuff, ran it again with another more filled out procedural mm-hmm. outline, right? Like first you do this, then you do this. Here are the rules for this. Uh, that had a little more prose in it, but it's still basically a skeleton of, that was basically notes for me about like, this is how it should work. And then I basically rewrote that entire thing once it was time to send to Epi because it was published in Worlds Without Master. And he had a couple little like edits and just like copy edits and stuff on it. And now I'm actually rewriting it again because I'm going to be releasing it as a standalone thing. And I'm kind of adding a lot more context and a lot more like insight from like how I run it. Here are the things you need to do as the GM to make this fun. Because that skeleton, that bullet point skeleton, if I handed it to you, you look at it and be like, all right, I'll give this a shot. (laughs) But not sure where it's going to be fun. Right. Was that first sheet with the bullets and everything, was that, were there headers or anything? Or were they just kind of bullets in the order that made sense to you or mm. that they came to you or? yeah i mean it was like beginning the game a little list of what all the stuff on the masks meant like terms just yeah. glossary yeah yeah like kind of like a glossary but also bullets underneath of what they did in play right right so that's all in one place and then notes on um because it's a token economy that the gm kind of puts forward to pace out the game so just notes on how 
the tokens worked and the interactions of when you put them in and take them out and that stuff. Which moved around because there's a couple different points in the game where the characters kind of have different things they can do with their abilities without going into boring details. So like now in the text reiterates some stuff over and over because if like I know where the information is, but if someone is reading the text through for the first time and they're like, oh, how does this work in the last room? Because it's different. They don't need to flip all the way back to the beginning where it defines how like this thing works in all the other rooms. Yeah, that makes sense. So adding usability, right, for like people who are not me is part of the revision process for that game. That early stuff that I write, when I bring it together, that is all facing me. That is all written to me. There are certain, well, not all of it, I should say. There's stuff that I know that I will write things in that are for people other than me. Sometimes there's something like whether it's a, a piece of like descriptive text or prose or something that just kind of happens while you're writing and you're like oh that's good yeah right 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 and you don't want to just like cut it out it should still be in there but the majority is notes to yourself i think And and i think and not just like in the sense of like notes that i know or that i don't intend for other people to see I will literally like address me as first time GM of this stuff in there. <laughs> yeah. Don't forget to do this. Mm-hmm. By the way, when you when describing this monster, don't leave out the the, the feet. All bold stuff mm-hmm. that I know I'm going to forget, right? To catch your eye. Yeah, yeah. So that when I'm skimming it, I'm like, oh, right, I bolded that. Because I do that. I run an, an entire play test and then gone home and looked at my thing and gone like, oh, I completely forgot about this rule, which can be an indication like, oh, maybe it didn't matter. Or it's just an indication that because of all the other things that you're doing, yeah. this is literally the first or second time this game has ever existed on the table, you might miss a couple things. Yeah. That's actually one of the things for me is I have a tendency to make bullet points too long in the early stages. So teaching myself to break them out so that if I only read the first five words of a bullet point, because somebody asked me a question or something, right? I get distracted during test. Mm -hmm. I should still be able to know, first of all, where the hell that bullet's going. Like if there shouldn't be a change of direction in the middle of a bullet point, that's two bullet points there. Right. But when I'm writing to myself, that is a problem that I will have is that I will put too much into one bucket. Mm -hmm. So just getting it so that I keep bullet points to essentially a line, or if I'm doing two column pages, which I'll sometimes do for myself, two lines, but to never let them get longer than that during this stage. Not that the rules can't do that, but in the bullets to tell myself, remember to do this, treat this this way, talk in this order, because otherwise I'm, I realize that I'm, I've got, I'm, then I am writing a ruling or a rule or something, in which case it's not a bullet point for me. Right. Because a bullet point is something that I can look at in the moment and then answer a question about it, hmm. make a decision about it during the test or what have you. If it's longer than that, that, that can be fine, but then I should be reading it in the 30 minutes before I run the damn thing. I mean, I can, again, it's a test. You can say like, hang on a second, I just changed that rule and I I have both of them in my head right now, which is a a problem that I feel like is a good thing to bring up during this process when we're gathering stuff together. Mm -hmm. To make explicit to ourselves things that we think are clear now, but tomorrow when you sit down to play with with your friends or testers at a convention or wherever it is, and you realize I have four out-of-date combat systems in my head right now. Right. And I kind of can't remember, like I have fibers from the other systems are still Mm -hmm. in this one. The exercise of creating a cheat sheet Mm -hmm. can be one way to try and combat that also. Both the process of making the decisions, right? Like, okay, I had this this initiative system and now I have this initiative system. I'm only going to play with one of them tomorrow. Mm -hmm. Which one is it? And then putting that on your cheat sheet. But then also having the actual sheet there to remind you is pretty valuable. And just so that you don't accidentally fall on something that you've internalized that you're changing. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, so like Mask of the Mummy Kings is pretty procedurally simple. There's not a lot of rules. So you can summarize the procedures on one page of bullet points or a half page even. If you've internalized the rhythm and kind of the fictional content that it asks you to to generate as the GM. But for a more complicated game, in the sense of just more moving parts designed for longer term play, addresses a wider variety of fictional inputs and outputs. I try to make those one page cheat sheets. Yeah. Kind of like if this was going out tomorrow, right? If I was sending this off to someone to play test or even if this game magically got done and I had to make, you know, the, the facilitation aids, what goes on the one sheet? Mm-hmm. Uh, how do you break up the information? What do you highlight to make sure someone reading this knows versus what do you leave as like? And then go to this section and do what it says, right? Like what's a what's a callback to a more complicated procedure in right. the longer text or right. whatever it is. Have you ever encountered the situation, and I'm especially curious about this for somebody like you, Nathan, who is a visual designer mm-hmm. in addition to everything else. Have you ever had your initial assembly of this stuff look too polished in a way that bit you? I'm not sure in a way that bit me. I have had people express their surprise that the game was a playtest uh-huh. based on the materials that were on the table uh-huh. because they're visually captivating uh, to to a certain degree of refinement. Even though I'm, that's the thing is I put my energy into like, here's a sheet that is nice and works and evocative and thematic and has all the stuff you need for you because you're playing the game. So you should have the cleanest, best version of, of what we have. Mm-hmm. I have a folder full of notes and... Not a capital letter to be seen. Right, right. Yeah, 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 like 11-point Verdana from Google Docs, <laughs> right, with uh, with highlight on it. Like, that's what I have for making this game happen. That has been a source of amusement for me. I'm not sure if that's been a problem, except that if it's been a problem, it's been such a problem that I haven't realized that it was a problem. I, I got bit by that once which is why I'm curious. And I was surprised that it took me so long to discover that, I, that it was a problem for me. Mm-hmm. There were notes I wasn't getting because people assumed this game was further along than it was. Oh, so either okay. they think that something's been tested sure, yeah. or that something is so in- uh, integral to the design that it won't be changed. Mm-hmm. I essentially playstormed a version, a, a remix of Adventurous, which uses the fate dice and stuff. And yeah. I wanted to convey this kind of Tomb Raider, Indiana Jonesy court sort of thing. The sheets had a lot of texture and such on them. And there were powers on there that I'd never seen the light of day before. And folks are like, I think I'm reading this wrong. And then what we found out was, no, it's totally broken. Hmm. So that one's out, out that one goes. Hmm. But that wasn't, it took twice or three times as long to get to that realization because the assumption, and reasonably so, of, the, of, of reason, very reasonable players thought, this must do something other than I, what, I, what I'm reading it does. Right. Because that would be... Because that would be incomplete. That would be otherwise, incomplete. So, it looks complete. Which isn't to say that you can't have very handsome materials that help you visualize and bring this process together mm-hmm. and discover how to connect the parts. Yeah. But I do think it, it, what it leads to is also the realization for me was that I should always be, not just again with playtesters, but even before that step, as explicit as possible so that I know that when I draw a line between these two things in my assembly of these concepts, that that's not me just saying, oh, these are similar. So that if somebody else were to look at it, if I have to do a lot of explaining, I should assume that tomorrow when I finally get a chance to run this thing, or next week when I finally get a chance, or next month, or whatever it is, that I'm going to be able to tell the difference between a line and an arrow. Because <laughs> I might not remember. Right. And I might read yeah. into something then it's seeming more complete than it is. Mm-hmm. So when talking about how to bring it all together, a lot of the and then 
that we're talking about is playtesting, mm-hmm. which you know most people engaged in, in the design process have the desire to do and, and are going to be getting to it at some point in their process. But, but there's kind of a continuum of when you do this, kind of as I was talking before, with bringing it down to, to a point so that you can uh, validate your assumptions and, and your process so far. This isn't like a, a sharp division or anything, but to me, like a playtest, you're bringing a thing to a table with people to be like, let us see whether this works in the ways that you know i want it to work basically you probably still have questions you probably still have gray areas and and openings and, and stuff but it's fundamentally about confirming or denying your suspicions mm-hmm. in a way which is a little different from what we've talked about before with play storming where you're coming to the table with kind of an open-ended let's see what happens coming with questions and search for more questions right yeah where you're looking for more questions or you're looking for an expansion like that's still to me a lot of the time that that play storming idea might be more still in the opening part of the yeah. of the of the wedge where you're seeking to accumulate more ideas and more material to work on yeah. while when you're bringing it together it's in order to to bring down your to that next point and this overall diagram starts off very wide and then even as it goes through these diamonds ends up narrow at the other side is the idea each time you go through one of these validation points you're limiting the scope of the work you're doing to focus more and more into the final product. And so perhaps they'll be able to make a little a little sketch to to put on the website to yeah, demonstrate what we're what I'm painting with words here. And I think to be as clear about it as possible, this although we talk about playtesting a little bit in this episode and, and we brush against some even principles and practices and stuff of that, this is all prelim. We're, we have a lot more to say about playtesting. <laughs> we will say a lot more about playtesting. Mm-hmm. This is all kind of about gathering in preparation, knowing that playtesting is coming. Mm-hmm. And with some of the knowledge that we can share the, as we scratch the surface of playtesting, just to make it clear why we're saying what we're saying about bringing it together this way. Yeah, because you can bring it together for other reasons. Yes. And I, in fact, encourage you to do so, especially when you get into that space where you're like, oh, I have all these thoughts. I don't really know what to do. Yeah. Take inventory is a, yeah. is a good idea to stop and say, oh, I actually, I could have sworn I had a system for mounted combat mm-hmm. and it turns out I have three of them Whoops. Yeah, or none. Right. It's <laughs> yeah. like bring it all together into one outline, bring it all together into one document, uh, make some sheets, make some reference points, give yeah. yourself an agenda for if you were to explain this game to someone. All of these activities... And that is not an inclusive or an exhaustive list. Right. You know, there are, there are many other methods, but the, the point is whether it's because of a schedule, like on your calendar, like we're going to play text next week, or whether it's every once a month, I'm going to put together everything that I've been working on into one document and look at it and make sure it's still all approaching, you know, my goal, giving yourself some, some kind of checkpoints, some kind of, of throttles to bring mm-hmm. all of your stuff together before you expand out again into the next phase of your design is a very helpful and valuable thing. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, please consider leaving stars or a review at your favorite podcast dispensary. If you have questions or comments for us about the Design Games Podcast, come check out our Google Plus community. You can just search for Design Games Podcast on Google Plus. There's also a link at designgamespodcast.com. Visit designgamespodcast.com to leave questions, like episodes, and click the heart button on anything on that page that you find delightful. What do people even say at the end of a podcast? What happens if it just...